Welcome. Welcome to Conversations in Compassion, a podcast by Dignity Maine, a program of Agape, and made possible by the contributions to Agape. Thank you. This is a different podcast. Instead of interviews, we have conversations. This is my attempt to demonstrate examples of what I call compassionate conversation. Through these conversations, I hope to address the discord in our families, in our communities, and in ourselves. And finally, to focus on the greatest need of our time, the need for compassion. First, I want to um, say that what I'd love you to notice is the intentional conversation, the volley between Zoe and myself about trying to just hold each other in a empathetic understanding and to kind of come to poignant moments and then start over again. And just feeling a felt sense of that empathetic understanding. What was the view? How did she see it? How did she honor her friend? And my role is to listen so deeply that I can hear the whisper of her desire to honor her friend's leadership and her values. And hopefully that that gets carried on. Zoe, thank you for being here with me. Thanks for asking me. This is a special podcast because we're not just creating a compassionate conversation. We're trying to take a moment to do a memorial to a friend and a, a worker person in your life. So I'd like you to tell me a little bit about Carrie. It's funny because um, I was talking to, to my daughter this morning and I wish I could remember what she said, but it was something along the lines of it's really hard to explain to people how Carrie was. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently um, because she was so many amazing things to so many people. Um, and she was also so solidly aware of who she was as a person. And I think that's why she attracted so many people because she really lived radical acceptance um, because she had experienced the flip side of it. Uh, but Carrie was... Um, when I first met her, she had just started working with the Church of Safe Injection, uh, just started working with Jesse. 
and was brand new back in Maine after being gone for 10 years. Um, and while she was gone, you know, she was really uh, struggling with her mental health and, um, and substance use and, and in situations that were incredibly dangerous mm. and uh, really felt like she couldn't get out of it. And, and I imagine had times where she felt like she didn't deserve to get out of it. So when she came back to Maine, she had only been back for a couple of weeks when she met Jesse. And, you know, Jesse had this incredible way of finding the most amazing people and, mm-hmm. and see, you know, it sounds corny, but like seeing the good in them. Um, and so he, he kind of scooped her up and said, do you want to work with people who are using drugs and, and help them access clean supplies and teach them about, about naloxone? And she was like, yeah, sign me up. And um, so the first time I actually met her, I just heard her cause she, and Jesse kind of crashed a meeting um, <laughs> of the, the statewide syringe service programs. Uh, and I remember sitting in this office in Augusta and, and she introduces herself and I'm like, who is this person? Um, and she's kind of rambling on. I'm like, all right. Um, but as, as I grew to know her more and, uh, and, and kind of help, support the church in the way that I could, which was limited at the time. Um, we became very close after Jesse died um, when she asked me to, to come help her. Mm. And, um, and that's when I really got to learn about who she was and, and what her dreams were. She, um, there's a place she touched you in her heart in terms of her radical acceptance for other people. And, mm-hmm. Her ability to kind of just be bold. Yeah. And, you know, we, we never disagreed. Like our, our values were, were always right on, um, very similar. And, and I think that I really appreciated that in her that like, even though she was still trying to figure her life out and there was a lot that, as she would say, like she didn't know much about, um, she was so clear on, on those values. And, um, I wanted to work together because I I wanted to be around that. Um, Mm. and I really liked this idea and I've been thinking about it more and more recently about like building each other up. Mm. And there were things that she wanted to learn that I feel like, you know, I could help her with. And so Mm. that was kind of, where we started and, and it was just, we always made decisions together and they were always aligned. You could feel this partnership mm. between the two of you as you approached the church and uh, took over for Jesse. And, and it was amazing to find out that somebody would have almost the identical values mm. and that she would, reflect something and you could go, Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. In this conversation so far, you've mentioned two people who have 
taking some very strong leadership about moving the needle around this opiate epidemic. I mean, really trying hard. And they're gone. And I wondered, why is the leadership gone? Yeah, I've been wondering that too. I mean, I think what became so clear to me towards the end of Carrie's life, and I didn't have the chance to be working as closely with Jesse before he died. Um, but Carrie and I were working together hours before she died. Um, there is not enough support for our leaders and the people who are leading the movements because it is our job to always be strong. Mm. And Carrie tried really hard to break through that stigma. The last couple of weeks before she died, she was really open about that. She really tried to say, hey, I'm struggling. You know, I, I'm a regular person too, and I have severe mental health needs right now. And it's like, well, what we and we, you know, everyone tried. Oh, you know, we're here for you. We love you. Whatever you need. Checking mm. in on her every day. But it's like, no, what actually is missing? Mm. And it feels more. There's it's something more than just support. Support isn't the right word. It's this fundament, fundamental need. Um to do better in community, I think, you know, like. Like support is not something you do when you're already sinking. Right, right. It's like one more thing you have to do. Right. And you don't even have the energy to do what you're doing. Right. And it's, a, you know, I'm here for you now that you're crying. But I wonder if there, I think what you're saying is that I wonder if we had a supportive community that people would be able to not crash, but dent a little or yeah. have a little moment where they would be held. Right. Right. And, you know, for me, I, I can't not think about it is a human desire to not have pain mm -hmm. and, and to take pain away when we can. Mm -hmm. And I believe that everybody should have that. Right. And um, you can take pain away a lot of different ways, but you should be able to to not feel that pain for a little while and and then kind of be ready to to do something else. And and right now, so many people that we're seeing who have a history of using substances and and continue to use them recreationally that choice is taken from them mm. by the lack of um, resources, leadership, whatever you want to call it, to ensure that we have a safe supply for people who are actively using illicit substances. I mean, again, that that's also not the issue and not why she's, you know, why she's not here today. Um, but it's a factor. And 
Um, there's still a stigma for even for mental illness for right. for the trauma that she experienced when you talked about her being, you know, away for ten years that she suffered mm-hmm. dearly and almost died several times on the streets of Miami. Right. And that she carried that trauma. Mm-hmm. And what do you do with it in a society that says if you got a mental illness, there's something broken about you? Right. Right. And she, you know, she worked so hard to um, do all of the incredible things that she did, but she did always have this insecurity. You know, Mm. I'm not good enough to be the executive director. And, Mm. you know, and and that's why I wanted to to be a part of her life, because I could see that, yes, you absolutely can, if that's what you want to do. And. What if you don't want to? Where's your community then? Maybe you don't want to be a spotlight in this movement Mm. or take a break from it. But this feeling that like we have to continue and we have to keep going and we have all this work to do can be very overwhelming. Um, And if you don't have those other resources or or boundaries or places to release those feelings safely they come out in other ways and people burn out yeah and i, and I love that word burn out because they they just have this numbers like in their head like we lost this many people we we keep losing we you hear it over and over and over you work on the at line and then somebody calls you and said i lost my cousin tonight mm. and, you know and and how that just bears on you over and over and over and it re-stimulates your trauma is what you're talking about yeah and i don't think we talk about that enough i mean we talk about it but we don't actually provide anything for it uh you know and i think that was very true for carrie i mean she i've i've talked to so many people in the last few weeks who said She would always answer the phone and she would always be there for me and she would always come and do this. And, and it's true. The woman never stopped. And now that she's gone, I realize how much I wish she had a little bit slowed down, not taken it all on. And not picked up the phone at 2 a.m. Right. Which somebody would proudly say, I could call her and she'd pick it up at 2 a.m. And there was a way in which you, as you look back, you go, that was her strength. Mm. It was also her weakness. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've, many of us um, have done this in the last couple of weeks of feeling responsible, feeling guilty. Mm. And I don't, I don't know, I haven't figured out where I land with this, but I, I do feel like we are kind of for, for any, you know, whenever this happens in community and you know, it's like, we do have a responsibility to be there even when people aren't asking for help. And even when they're not saying they're struggling, but those in between times that they're not saying it, I wonder what that looks like and how we can maybe do that differently. You know, as I was thinking about this, because I I really am really touched by the idea of Jesse Harvey and Carrie and 
these people who really try to bust open a state house to say what their truth was or stand outside giving out clean needles beyond the legal limit and because they believed in it and they were willing to be arrested or that they would pick up the phone at two in the morning to make sure that somebody was getting a safe house to live in. They would just work diligently. And the pain kept coming. The death kept coming. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about if, if the community, if, if, if we have these leaders that step out and say, this is not okay, and the pain keeps coming, how can they absorb it forever? And I'm just trying to think about it today. I just, uh, I mean, they just get another phone call and another cousin, another brother, another young man. Right. And we, we, uh, we are not doing a great job <laughs> as, as leaders in this community. We do not stop to process the grief. Mm. Um, and actually, I found myself hours after Carrie died already organizing, mm. right? Like, let's, you know, okay, we got to keep this place open and let's get everyone in here and we need a place for everyone to grieve together and let's come together and, you know, let's get volunteers going. And I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this to the point where I, I did make the decision, you know what, we need to stop for a little while. Mm. We need to start exploring how we take care of each other differently mm -hmm. in organizations, in community, uh, so that we're actually building in space, time, s grief processing into the infrastructure of the organization. Uh, because what feels inevitable if we don't is, is that this will continue. Mm. Um, and again, like, People should be able to take the pain away in a variety of ways safely. Uh, and I, I wonder if one of those ways can be making it a requirement to pause mm. in this work because it is so hard. Mm. Um, and, and I've seen that with volunteers and staff recently just continuing to move forward and continuing to go, go, go without stopping. And, and that is their process. Mm. Um, so honoring that mm. and wondering if we can do better for each other in different ways. Yeah. You're speaking about what do we do as a community of doers with this grief? This massive grief. I mean, do we just wake up and say, what can I do instead of sit with? That's what I see. Invite other people. I, I see a lot of, uh, I see it turn into action and anger, mm. um, which feels helpful sometimes. You know, mm. I, I see it again and again. Uh, someone will hear of, 
somebody they lost and they'll say, what are we, we have to do something. Where's the good Sam bill at, you know, what's going on, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's how, that's how we've gotten through this last year. Mm. Um, You know, Jesse's loss was so significant Mm. to so many people. And we used that to like power us through, Mm. but I actually don't think it worked we got we had some wins and some successes certainly but not if one of our leaders is another one of our leaders is gone and and that's the process here you know because you're now stepping into leadership yeah it feels very heavy. Uh, and I've had a number of people kind of say, wonder if it should look different. You know, like, do how do you rebrand an organization, a position, if it feels like, the, you know, people have said, like, that we're cursed because our directors keep dying. And I actually, I don't believe that. Um, I think it, I think it's a community responsibility to, to recognize that we need to do something different. Um, And I think that, you know, as I try to find the gifts that Carrie left me, Mm. I wonder if, if that's what I can try to do actually to like slow things down in a certain way. Yes, this is urgent. And, and so much of what we do is on the front lines directly with people who are on the daily affected. Uh, and we all are, mm. and we cannot do this work well if we're not taking care of ourselves mm. first. Mm. And it's very hard to take care of yourself in the face of trauma that has been a part of your life because then you start to move into the idea of taking care of yourself as taking care of others. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like it needs to be two separate Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. uh, because it's hard to look inside and, and figure out what, what I need for myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think when it's somebody who has a long history of severe trauma and, um, and violence and abuse, it's even harder to recognize the self-worth, you know, that, that actually you do deserve to take a break and you do deserve to rest. Um, And that doesn't need to be tied up with, the work that you do and the people that you serve. Um, And that means some kind of boundaries of that separation. Yeah. And almost, you said it almost like a requirement Mm -hmm. of, are you, are you taking care of yourself in the flood of these needs? A flood of how how do you end up taking care of yourself when you get a phone call from a young woman with a child and she says, I got no place to go. I got no resources. 
how do you don't take the phone call because you're going to take a walk. Right. And I think about the, the foundation of harm reduction and the origins, you know, all of this work we do started by people like us Mm. doing the work um, for their community and, and the, the lines are blurry and Mm. the boundaries are gray because there are friends and there are family members and we want to help them um, and do what we can do. Um, But I think that there, I think that there is a way and, and maybe it comes back to this kind of how do we take care of our network of leaders? Mm. And maybe it's, maybe it's looking at how we do that a little bit differently because uh, as much as I like the idea of a requirement and as much as I made it a requirement that we close for the month of June, it still doesn't feel great um, to say like, well, no, this is what we have to do. I don't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I recognize that too, as not being ideal. Mm-hmm. I want us to all decide together what we need to make sure that we're um, taking care of ourselves and each other. I was, I'm sort of noticing this question about leadership, you know, when people are put in those roles and, and they take it seriously and they take it seriously to impact and make change and move forward and take care of the suffering and, and then find themselves exhausted, uh, unable to manage the trauma, which is what happened to Carrie. I mean, she worked so hard. And then it got triggered and there were all the trauma was running through her body and she was still trying to do the same leadership and the trauma was running right through her body at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and then she said, I need support, but it was already overboard. Yeah. And that's for both of them. Mm-hmm. It was already overboard. Right, because I also think the shame of um, admitting the truth is hard. Mm. Uh, you know what i what I learned about how difficult the last two weeks were for her before she died, I learned after she died. Mm. And even though I was doing what I thought mm. was helpful, um, you know, and I, I'm so grateful for some of the conversations that we had right at the very end. Mm. So grateful. Took me a while to get there. And, uh, you know, and so the question isn't why was she dishonest, right? Like that cannot be what the question is. It right. is what, what are we doing mm-hmm. that allows people to not feel like they can be truthful? And with how significant their shame is. Mm -hmm. It's not their responsibility. It is ours. As a community to hold people. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were saying earlier. Like, how do we do that as a community, even if we're a movement? Right. You know, how do we hold that the larger here is, this is a compassionate community, not a community of doing, but a community of being with each other. Mm -hmm. And then 
to do. Right. And you're thinking a lot about that as you step into a leadership role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that that might be the the first question to kind of figure out that if people are still unable to, to say what they need when they need it, or maybe not even say, but just what can we, how can we do this differently? Because we've lost two incredibly significant people Mm. more Mm. than that. I mean, we've lost even over the last 10 years, we've lost people who weren't even able to start Mm. and they were doing incredible work and we lost them so early on. Mm. And, um, And it does come back to that central theme of either by the time they reached out, it was, it was too much. Mm -hmm. And I wish that she could have felt the love that we all had for her. And Mm -hmm. so I think the reminder is just be in that place of, of loving each other and And that's the first step to building a compassionate community is just acceptance and love for wherever people are at. And Mm -hmm. sometimes those places are really hard Mm -hmm. and really challenging to love. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think just recognizing that, you know, that it's not as easy as just accepting one side or accepting the other, that, that there are struggles and differences uh, but in order for us to to do this work all together, we have to find the common ground. And that common ground may be actually love. I think it is. And that particular poignancy of watch out for how we can support our leaders rather than challenging their leadership. Mm-hmm. How can we care about them? And then challenge. How can we know that they get more of the care about because they took the leadership? Mm-hmm. Because they stood up and did were bold. Rather than the criticism. Right. Right. It's, it comes back to radical acceptance. Um, and just, you know, right. And we know that people are where they're at and mm-hmm. we need to love them there anyway. Mm-hmm. People are doing the best they can. Yeah. With the resources they have. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. I'd like to give a heartfelt thanks to all the contributors to Agape Inc. for their support in making this podcast possible. If you care to join us, please go to DignityMain.com to get involved. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. And take good care.